Okay, so um, today I'm in um, Ben's office with uh, his right-hand man, Gary Woodgate. Recently retired from Star Sports, Gary Woodgate. So thanks very much for taking some time out from your retirement, Gary. Um, for people that don't know you, in 2005, you made up the trio of people that went on to be Star Sports. Uh, 18 years later, in your mid-50s, would you believe it, you've retired a multi-millionaire. The game's not gone, is it? Uh, no, I don't think it has, actually. I think that um, with everything, when, you, when, you, when you've got a, like a sort of backward focus on things and you look at how things were in the past, you know, 10 years ago, everything was easier, it seems, you know. But I think with everything in life, you have to work that little bit harder and you have to graph the margin that narrows up. You have to really work at um, things a lot more smartly. Um, and I certainly don't think the game's gone. I just think the game evolves, and I think you've got to evolve with it. And if you stand still, then you, you will be eaten by the game. It's, it's voracious, but I think there's still room for uh, people to make a good living. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's been, I would imagine, seat of your pants stuff for Star Sports. How, how fast has yeah. that 18 years gone? Um, well, uh, in certain respects, it's gone extremely quickly. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I can't. I, I'm still sort of like settling in with me. I don't really, don't really understand what's happened. To be honest with you, <laughs> it's so, a lot. So the scenario you find yourself in now, you know, um, mm. it must have looked pretty unlikely when you got thrown out of sixth form, age 17. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I would have laughed at you if um, you'd told me what I'm doing now, sit here, sitting here like this. When uh, you know. Uh, Pre uh, sat in the Marcus of Exeter um, public bar instead of the uh, classroom, playing pool and drinking instead of you know underage drinking instead of actually doing what I was supposed to be doing, which is studying, and uh, then finding out that uh, you know actually that I've got to sit my exams and two days before realizing I hadn't done any work for it. So so inevitably, uh, yeah, I, I I I got kicked out. I'm afraid, but uh, hopefully it was for the better in the end. Well, well I was going to say, considering how well you've done, I would assume it's because you were a blatant non-trier rather than being non-academic. Uh, yeah, totally not off. I just you know I had a, a absolutely <laughs> complete complete non-trier, and uh, you know and rightly so. So you get you get what you reap. You know you reap what you sow. So um, off I went. So when you're spending your time in pubs, is that how you sort of gravitate to the betting industry, people coming in with, uh, from the bookies? Or? Yeah, there's a little bit of pub bookie action going on, probably uh, sneaking into the local Labrooks and watching Desert Orchid uh, when, when it's umpteenth race. And uh, yeah, gen generally a sort of culture of that, you know, that sort of era where things like that went hand in hand, yeah. So was the um, getting your first job with Labrooks, was that because you were interested in the betting industry or just because that's what came along? Well, um, I was sort of like being a bit lazy, sat at home, uh, and then my mother poked an advert in front of me. I think I just turned 18. She said, go and earn some money. I need some rent. Uh, so so uh, there was an advert in the local evening August, and uh, I applied for a cashier's position with Labrooks, yes. Now, sadly, I'm old enough to remember betting shops in those days yeah. as well. They were a lot different than they are today. There was a big community spirit. You had a lot of yeah. fun going on in there. So was it enjoyable working? As cashier would have been more than just being a cashier at the yeah, time. Yeah, it's, it's completely changed. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, I feel sorry for people that work in the industry, young people that work now in, in retail when they don't really know what it was like because it was it really was community hub. You know, it was a... Um, I think uh, uh, one of my shops they referred to uh, one of the areas as Kids Corner, where everyone used to turn up, and it was it was real social, you know, it really was. Yeah. Now, did you have? I mean, when you've you've done really well now, but when you were there, did you have an ambition to to be Cyril Steen's right hand man? Absolutely not. No, I had. Uh, I just I just wanted to earn enough money to to exist, really. And uh, you know, I think you know in the early days. Um, I probably did all right in the early days, considering I had a 15-year career there that didn't really go very far. But um, I, I quite got, got quite into it. I thought that the, the in those days the, the training at Labrooks was second to none. It was absolutely exceptional, and you had to really work at it. And um, you know the setting classes and uh, the way that it was sort of like framed that, that it was there was ambition there if you wanted to go somewhere. And uh, I, I, I enjoyed that part. I got on quite quite quick, did quite well quite quickly, and I, I sort of gravitated towards. Uh, deputy manager and manager um, reasonably quickly but then after that it just sort of um, petered out a little bit I can't, I can't even put my finger on it why I just didn't have that drive to go further to district and regional um, when we were talking about doing this interview before you described yourself as unfocused and rudderless during that time yeah uh, uh, correct in hindsight yeah uh, but uh, you know when you, when you, you don't particularly have that much ambition you just sort of um, 
don't realise you're drifting, but you are drifting. And in your own eyes, you're doing okay. And in my own little world, I was doing fine. I was a manager of a shop, and uh, you know that's a good role to have. And I'm, I'm not underestimating that. But you know, I think that um, I was lucky in a, in a sense that timing worked for me. And you know, I, I was just demotivated, and uh, I, I needed something else. And luckily, that happened for me. You know. Yeah. So, so the, the the opportunity with Star Sports to get in right at the beginning came yeah. at the right time in your life after you sort of bimbled well, along for a few years then you had the opportunity to really kick on with a new project yeah I mean it could have happened a lot earlier for me but unfortunately Ben was probably ending about 18 at that point so <laughs> um, no it did come along uh, you know for me it was an absolute godsend um, and uh, I, I really appreciated that change at that now, it, this is I love this bit because most people when they when they start a new career they they go for an interview or they hand yeah. in their CV. Um, you became correct me if I'm wrong. But you kept, became aware of Ben Keith when uh, you realised there was a team of stickers on taking your pants down on a regular basis in the betting shop. Yeah, I mean I think that Brighton is well renowned as being a live money area. There's lots of tipsters and um, you know people that know the game there. So you always work to a fairly low margin in the area, but uh, then, then came the occasion um, in, I suppose it would have been the early 2000s, when uh, a young man appeared on the scene who um, was laying waste to Sussex in an extraordinary fashion, um, betting everything from bad each ways and um, out-of-date coupon prices where the coupon came out on a Sunday and the match was on a Thursday in the UEFA Cup and uh, by then it was complete chip paper and uh, he, he knew these things before most people with the advent of the exchanges etc and he just took massive advantage of that in those early days and uh, there was a team, fairly significant team going around the area um, impacting margin, driving the uh, district managers and the regional managers absolutely nuts um, and we did our best to uh, stop that flood, but it was a bit of a finger in the dike exercise, to be honest. So back in those days, when you were the manager of the shop, w would you sort of just stand, you know, would you be a bit more tolerant of that sort of thing back in those days and let them keep sort of winning off you for a bit before the, like, it was upscaled in management to deal with them? No, you had a strict set of rules and parameters, but they were quite sharp at uh, getting around those, you know. I mean, everything had referral limits, etc. just like today, but um, I think that um, when you bet in SP, bad each ways, and you can just sneak one in, thank you very much, and uh, out the door you go, and before you know it, you see him walking out. So, it, it, you know, it's the, same, it's the same all over, but it was a game of cat and mouse, and uh, you just had to try and do your best. And when did you um, become aware that there was this young upstart called Ben Keith that was behind all this? Oh, probably when uh, uh, down the road he was paying the guy out 40 grand in cash um, for a, um, a bunch of tickets that uh, he, he, uh, he was cashing in at that time. And I thought, right, OK, so this is properly organised. So when, when, you were, when you made the decision to stop laying these people, did you yeah. have to sort of come out from up behind the counter and sort of say, no more lads? Was it easy to do that? Uh, well, this is the thing, I think... You know, if you see someone who's professional, the last thing they want to do is cause a stink and, uh, you know, have attention put upon themselves and start shouting, shouting and screaming about the whole thing. So you knew they were proper when you'd say, not for me, thank you. And they go, thank you very much and walk out the door and go down the lo local coral around the corner. So uh, it was patently obvious that you'd, you, you'd stopped it at source because um, they, they were very polite, you know. And did, it, did it not cross your mind to maybe let them get away with a bit and then nip around to William Mills and have your own Oh, no, I was far too stupid for that. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't you know. But, and obviously, by the time I got around there, probably the game was up anyway. Um, how, back in those days, I mean, how common, you say that Brighton was a hotbed, but how common would a winning punter be regular in your shop and how common were these sticking on sort of gangs? Were there, was Ben just one yeah, of many? He was one of a few, but he was just much bigger. He just had scale, you know. He was really coming at you. It, it was just... It was, it was, as I obviously found later in life, typical Ben Keith, like tidal wave approach to things. So um, it was, uh, you know, batting down the hatches time. But, you know, uh, th yeah, there was, there was some shrewds around. Um, but I think, you know, we bet to much bigger margins than the, the, you know, the early prices were a list on the wall, not everything to everybody. Um, you, you know, you needed to have five homes in, a, uh, in an acre or three, three draws or away. So, you know, it was much more in favour of the bookmaker in those days, you know, to to uh, basically keep hold of that margin, you had, to, you had to be a lot sharper, you know. So when did you actually meet Ben? 
for the first time. What sort of circumstance yeah. was it? Well, I, I'd, I'd been knocking back Chris Ward, his his uh, partner, for a quite a long time, and then um, I knew another guy that worked for him who who spoke to me via a uh, another manager who, who basically took Ben Shops on as as the first one in, and I was the second one in the door. Um, and um, first time um, I met him was in the. Uh, local restaurant called the Barley Brasserie um, and unusual that to, to see Ben at a dinner table I know but um, it was it was uh, yeah the first meeting was with Nick he's, he's, he's then second in command and uh, I, I sort of got through that one to go on to the second meeting with just the two of us and at that point uh, Ben drank uh, I know it might seem unusual to those who know him but uh, like everything he, go, he goes at everything full on so when the fifth bottle of wine came out um, I sort of like realised that uh, I'd probably made it through, and I just nodded and 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 um, listened a lot of the time, and hopefully gave a couple of correct answers in the right places, and then let him go into full full flow. Um, and then at that point, um, uh, we we parted. And he said, "Oh, I've got a, a long meeting with Betfair at nine o'clock tomorrow morning," which I I, I didn't even know happened. But uh, yeah, so uh, thank God I got through that with a, although with a, a significant hangover. So apart from the drinking, what was your first impression of him? Um, you can be honest. Yeah, well, I think everyone has a first impression of Ben, and uh, it wasn't much different back then. He was, uh, yeah, just uh, completely out there, um, just a different animal entirely. Um, and uh, ambition then was monster. Um, he already knew what he wanted to be, and it was just a question of how quickly he was going to get there. And in his eyes, he was going to get there very quickly. Um, so it was. Um, I've never met anyone like this. That was my first impression. He'd have been a young chap then, wouldn't he? Yeah, the, the, uh, 26, I suppose, something like that. Yeah, and what, what did he think of you? Uh, absolutely no idea. I don't know. Um, I, I know what he, he thought of me later in life, but, uh, uh, you know, once I'd started working for him, um, which was uh, where I uh, had the nickname Gary Scargill for what he considered was my left-leaning roots and unionised behaviour, and guard, you know, the Guardian would be carried into work, which it, which it did back then. I did have a sort of Neil Channing approach to bookmaking, and uh, and uh, he 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 sort of like had to try and knock that out of me, which he spent the next uh, 16, 17 years trying to do so. Um, and I, I, do, I do admit, I now carry the times around with me, so he's had some effect. You passed the interview at the restaurant. Um, yes. You were at the time you were working for the country's biggest bookmaker. But you decided to jump ship to work for this uh, upstart that finished off five bottles of wine and has been having you, having you over. Um, given that you were married at the time, yeah. you know, had responsibilities, how, how big a leap of faith was it to do that? Um, to be honest with you, it, it really wasn't. You know, I think I knew that how stale I'd been uh, um, for a while and um, it was really welcome, to be honest. It was a breath of fresh air. And to see someone who was a disruptor in the market like that was um, was really exciting. And, you know, given that he, he uh, overpaid to get people out, it was better for me, obviously, in that sense. And uh, he incentivised, which um, he's, he's kept to that all of his career. He's always, like, tried to reward people accordingly. So the package was fantastic, you know, and uh, I don't think it was a particular leap of faith at all. Um, obviously, you've discussed this with... Um, uh, your partner and your, or your wife at the time, and and uh, and uh, it was completely clear it was the right thing to do. So, what was your first role? Um, my first, well, I was a shop manager. Um, so we had a, a shop estate that we were trying to build up, um, uh, which we did so completely unsuccessfully. Um, and uh, I, I was just basically employed to do the similar sorts of things that I was before, but trying and scale so that at some point we'd have a big enough. Um, retail estate to sell to one of the majors, but uh, that horse had bolted by the time that we got started, really. Right, so, so none of it really went to plan. So did you think you made a massive wreck? Um, no, because I was too... It, it was always busy, even though, the, you know, even though you could sort of see it wasn't quite going to plan and we were, you know, some of the shops were in break-even, some of the shops were struggling, etc. We were always on our toes with the next move, you know, he was, you know, he was on course layer at the same time and, uh, and uh, we had our ideas about telebetting and uh, there's always something going on, 
you know, relentlessly. So never, never was there a dull moment. So you didn't really have time to think about, you know, is this, is this really going to work? Do I need to move on? Do I think that grass is greener somewhere else? Uh, I, I just didn't have the time to do that. Now, you yeah. mentioned that Ben was also active on course. Did you get involved with that? Uh, well, in my first week, um, I, uh, it was a phone call, and, uh, and on that day he said, um, get your suit out, polish your shoes, do your top button up, get the tie done up tightly. You're coming up to Walthamstow to work on the bag. Um, of course, uh, never worked on course before anywhere, you know, Fontwell in Tats or something like that just to break me in, nothing. So um, I went up and uh, drove at about 150 miles an hour all the way, so I was already nervous by the time I got there. And uh, yeah, I was stuck on the bag and uh, in the bear pit that was the Walthamstow ring where as a lot of people realise and have knowledge of the battles that went on you know, Umbrella Gate, um, the Betfair issues, uh, you know, the way he just took the place on um, from, you know, from a young age. And uh, and I was, I was stood there like a rabbit in headlights and uh, rattling out the bets at a thousand miles an hour when pre-ticket, you know, pre the pre-printed tickets and the machines and everything. And uh, Clark was uh, Rob Head, who uh, pencil was on fire, you know, virtually had to change one every, every after every race. And uh, I realised, you know, what an operator he was because uh, you know, someone came up, I think they emptied their, their, it was a girl, he emptied their purse out and had £18.75 at 7-4. And uh, within two seconds, he'd already calculated what the return was on that and shouted over the bet, next bet. And, uh, you know, I, I somehow survived the bag, uh, even though, you know, the likes of Jerry Croxford were sending the runners down furiously and um, there were bets, hedge bets being called over and you had to, you know, make sure that you were on top of it. It was... Um, Phenomenal, and then you know he'd say what we got the jolly for in the first, and before the traps had gone up, Robert told him what it was for, even though you know it was a list as long as your arm. It's just an incredible operation, and uh, that was sort of birth then, really, of uh, of myself, you know, in a bookmaking sense of actually what the game was really about, even though I've been around for fifteen years. So, yeah, it was very exciting. So that on course stuff was the constant between. So you, that was all going on while you had the betting shops that didn't work out, and then you moved on to the next part. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. Um, out of the back of one of the shops, I think it was the Patcham shop, uh, we started laying some telebet business. And Ben had um, started networking. And uh, that was really one of the big junctures in our lives when he, he decided that he wasn't just going to be a Brighton boy, he was going to be a London and Brighton boy. And uh, he got himself up to town and uh, started putting himself about a bit. And... Um, we, we, we started to get some traction and, you know, obviously at first you just attract every, everybody you don't want. Um, but we sort of survived the first couple of tidal waves of business and uh, I don't know how, to be honest, but, but we did. And uh, we, we, we started to grow that, that business from Patcham. Um, and uh, it was, yeah, that, that, was, that was an exciting diversion, yeah. And you were working from a flat, just sort of sitting around a telephone. Well, that 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 came after that. That um, that was the Goring shop where we had uh, part of the lease for the Goring shop, where we had the betting shop downstairs. We had the flat upstairs. So, being complete skinflints that we were, we put the office in the flat upstairs, and uh, living room turned into the trading room, uh, and uh, three desks were. Uh, wedged in there I was on the little desk in the corner making the tea and the other guys the other two guys were you know trading trading the the phones uh, seven days a week so yeah it was um it was uh it was a pivot that was you know really telling at that point um and that's when star really became something in my view in those early days at going now you said that Ben was going up town to pick his yeah. pick up new clients. Um, you assume the sort of punters he was trying to court weren't very good punters. Yeah. No disrespect to any of them that might be watching it. But, I mean, how did you manage to lure them away from the bookmakers they're already using? Because bookmakers that have punters like that normally treat them very well and they don't want to lose them. So how did yeah. you manage that? Well, it, it, it was a mixture of business, to be honest with you. It wasn't all uh, straight business. We did attract, you know, uh, I think they're sort of like... Um, 
you know, uh, round, round, uh, bees around the honey when, when it comes to a new kid on the block and um, all, all the faces turn up. And uh, there was some lively stuff in there, but there was some recreation as well. And I think what, what you know, that ethos of uh, good service and lay a bet and uh, bet to size and you're on and, and we'll pay you and we'll pay you straight away. That was from day one, virtually, you know, and uh, I think that ethos has, has gone through the decades that, that followed that, um, you know, you, you can actually operate like that and, and attract attention. You know, in the, these are days of credit bookmaking when, when the big firms took credit bets, but uh, I just think that we, we offered a service that was they had, probably hadn't seen that was quite as sharp as the one that we offered. Now, it, it's obviously you guys are going to pay, but I used to have a credit cancer myself, and it's very easy yeah. to ring up and have a, well, for me it wouldn't have been a sort of bet, but a £500 double on two odds on shots, easy yeah. to call it on the phone, but pulling it up if it gets beat, yeah, and if you've got somebody that's not quite so uh, honest as you guys were, I mean, how, how, you know, how often did you get knocked, and how did you deal with that? Yeah, credit bookmaking, eh? Uh, uh, Thames Lions. It's uh, it's uh, not for the faint of heart. Um, the old adage: you've got to win it twice. Um, and it was, yeah. I mean, we had some, yeah, some real moments. But uh, it, it was it was a USP. We had to do it. We had to differentiate. And that's what we've always had to do. We've had to do something that the firms don't do in order to try and atta- attract attention. And, and, we, and we did it well, um, but we, you, you had to be brave and you had to suck it up. Um, and there can be instances where people have won significant sums of money off you, got paid, and then, what do you know, they haven't got the money anymore uh, when you've won it back in a, in a, in a straight line. And, and then perhaps you bump into that person in their Bentley running around central London, uh, um, you know, little five-star hotel. So, uh, it, you know, it's something that, that uh, you have to be brave with. Yeah, and you're obviously what you were doing worked because by the end of that decade, you'd gone from working in a, in a flat residential place to opening offices in Hove. Hove, you opened yeah. the first ones. Um, I mean, what do you attribute, apart from what you've already said, what do you attribute to Star's rise in that time? Yeah, I think that, well, the networking, the aforementioned networking was, you know, significant. And then, um, we, you know, we tried to, to market ourselves. We tried to, I think we did our roasting post ads that I used to knock up on a Word document. And, uh, you know, in those days, hopefully, if you, if you opened 30 or 40 accounts and uh, they weren't all live, then that was fantastic. And, you know, that just started to grow. And then, obviously, in, in, in due course, we, we attracted the attention of, uh, we signed up Bill Esdale and Square in the Air, which was a, a real moment for us and he, he took us forward from a marketing PR level um, you know alongside Luke and uh, we you know that that was when we started to you know try and market ourselves in the correct fashion as the you know the, the bookmaker of, of uh, the gentleman's bookmaker as we were those days um, and somebody who's uh, in significant standing if you if you want to have a, a bet and look after be looked after in VIP status which was our niche back then. Now, someone else that was your niche, the other main bookmakers didn't do, at least we don't think they did, you took live information, yeah. you bet lively from lively people and used that to your own advantage. So how important was that live information to the success of Star, probably back in the early days? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a necessity because you have to take stuff off the table that's in front of you and uh, and uh you know uh, i mean we went, we bet to a margin that is a joke now you know it's like three or four percent i think we used to win on a year off of monster turnover but but it was it was it was a necessity we had to we had to bring it on because you know you can't compete in other levels and then you can utilize that information and as long as you're sharp you know smart around it you can you can actually make it pay and uh, it, but but it means that the the swings are gigantic, and you have to be able to uh, hold on to those swings and, and, and ride them out. You know. And did the other bookmakers realise that you were sort of turning on them a bit? Um, in what sense? What do you mean? Well, if you were, if you, I assume that if you were using that information, you were b- back in the, the, the. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it was noted in places, most definitely. Yeah. And how involved were you in that sort of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always—it's always been something that I've I've, I've enjoyed and looked at. And um, you've seen in the video that Ben made to promote this interview, and we we touched on it to begin with. You've yeah. made a personal fortune. Have you done that by punting? 
Uh, no, not a fortune by punting. Um, I've I've um, always in, in, enjoyed uh, poacher and gamekeeper equally. And uh, but you know, really, what what Ben's taught me over the years is is compound your position and uh, uh, and effectively over the course of the, the the next fifteen years, that's what I've done personally um in in the form of equity and investment so it's it's been a case of of play the long game and he's taught me that you know all right gary now i want to move on we've talked we've talked in the you know the, the sort of rise of star and then one thing that you notice about ben before the end of the decade he's bought the top pitches on race courses and everybody else is sort of saying the game's gone the on-course game's finished why did he do that uh, well, you, you had the opinion that the top picks um, really hold their value, um, and in in effect, you know, it, they they increase in value in the long term. Um, and I think that's probably been borne out. Um, I'm not an expert in these things, but I'd say so. And also that he realised that if you can uh, stand up and be original. In your approach, and um, you know, attract the proper business to your pitch, etc. You can make a noise from a marketing point of view, and that's been borne out by what he's done at the major festival meetings. So it was in a really, really good marketing tool. On top of that, and um, I think that um, it really goes hand in hand with our ethos as a yeah. We are we are a racing firm prim- primarily, um, although other sports are coming up alongside that now um, and it really it was really borne out by the fact that you know these these pitches at uh, Cheltenham Ascot, Aintree, Goodwood and uh, you know especially as, on top of that the, the Grand Derby uh, were not only profitable but really 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 good marketing tools um, and they lent to the business really well. Um, something we haven't covered and it's not in your question so don't hate me but oh at some point during this time, you've gone from being an employee to being Ben's sort of right-hand man, trusted, confidant, rock, whatever you want to call it. I mean, yeah. what what sort of point did, did that just naturally happen? Um, yeah, I think it probably did, actually. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you a timeline. Um, I guess that I rose sort of rose through the ranks by default on a few occasions, um, as in there was no one else there, so I had to step in. Um, but But then, you know, eventually you get to know someone so well by spending uh, that amount of time with them, you actually get to understand their mindset very well. And uh, I think that over the years, that that has really grown and cemented. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell you exactly when that, that role... And I, th- I think he, he obviously coined that term. I, you know, it's not exactly a job role, is it, right, man? But um, it, it's something that is probably quite accurate in the fact that I just sat there and made that something for myself, almost, you know, to be that conduit between uh, himself and the rest of the, the business, you know. But he, but he, for something like a decision about the race course pitches, would yeah. he sort of say to you, Gary, what do you think? Or would he, yeah, no, he would. And, and uh, he wouldn't necessarily ignore it, even though, uh, you know, much better taking the opinion of people that are expert in that market. But um, I think probably more of, you know, balancing the finances, how, how can that money be best spent? Is that the best area to go into? Um, and is the deal right? Um, and, you know, manpower all those sorts of things is manageable because he probably would have bought 50 pitches if they'd all been profit making and then we'd work out how to man them after we bought. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I would have been involved in on a different sort of operational level rather than is this, is this a good buy, shall we say? Yeah. And the other thing that he's bucked the trend with, of course, is the betting shops. Yeah. Everybody, you know, they're selling them wholesale, but Ben is sort of buying them and buying them and buying them. So, yeah. you know, why is it he's always, you know, he's always bucking the trend, but he seems to make it successful. Yeah, I think that in the curve of things, when people, um, but going back to the sort of games gone attitude, uh, when people actually um, start to back out of markets, there's a point at which they do it too quickly and um, far too energetically, and, we, and we, we've sort of seen that recently, um, where you know the focus of the bigger firms has, in my view, has, has gone off. Things like retail and uh, the mergers have been in our favour. You know, 
they're all looking internationally, looking abroad at um, the US and other, other jurisdictions. And I think that overall, the quality out there within the retail estate has diminished. And, uh, but it doesn't mean that there's no opportunity. And if you can cherry pick and um, accurately, and, and it, this is something we are very good at, and uh, you can accurate, accurately map an area where you believe you should be attacking the market. Um, we've done that and we've done that successfully. And I think, you know, I think that the ethos of, that goes alongside the rest of the business in terms of service applies even more so to retail. And we've got a brilliant team and all the staff are well-trained. They know exactly what they're talking about and uh, they're well-versed. And uh, that's borne out by the fact of uh, James Maloney and Mayfair winning betting shop manager of the year, which was a great landmark. Uh, and on top of that, that sort of um, goes through the ethos of, of uh, enabling and promoting people in the right places, because I hope James doesn't mind me saying that he probably didn't think a few years ago he'd be sat in front of the cameras, you know, being interviewed by Nick Luck and, uh, you know, in his, I don't, I don't know how old he is, probably 40s, uh, he's, he's, you know, he's got a real sort of second wind and uh, it's great to see. Right, now we've got to bring it down to earth again now a bit because people have been watching this hearing how clever Ben and you have been with building this business up. <laughs> clever. Let's yeah. have a talk about um, star plumbing, star antiques, star cars. Yeah. I mean, you've had, from what I've been told, there's quite a few more of those with a, a star prefix that have um, been yeah. efforts to diversify yeah. and have, should we, is it fair to say, failed miserably? Oh, more than fair. Yeah, absolutely tanked. Uh, we'll be saying they've been very expensive. Did he run all those by you as well before? You um, yeah. I, I, no, look, don't, don't think I was not part of it. I'm uh, hands up, you know. But uh, I think uh, you learn by your mistakes, they say, don't they? And we've made some. God, God we made some. But, uh, yeah, I think that uh, applying the logic of, of what we do within bookmaking uh, and just saying, oh, don't worry, we can do that with car loans, antiques, uh, cleaning companies, uh, plumbing companies, um, and whatever else uh, I won't mention, uh, doesn't actually work. Uh, and you actually do have to have some knowledge of the market that you're looking at and not just go, uh, you know, uh, this is this is a margin, we'll apply that margin and away we go. Uh, yeah, um, but uh, we, we certainly have uh, had some disasters in our time well people we all know that people do like to uh to hear about somebody's lucky um itv7 going down by a mm. short head in the last leg so of all the failures which was the most memorable I, I can't tell you that um that's that's um information that will remain private until the ben keith memoir comes out and uh i'll let him uh, inform you of that particular detail because <laughs> that's the first uh, one you've done gary now luckily yeah. there are plenty of successful non-betting star companies you've got star you know the um, star property and all that stuff yeah. I mean what changed from them all failing to them all succeeding uh, I think that uh, people you know putting people in the right place I think there are probably two diversifications uh, one into um, not the bookmaking side but the the technology side of the business that uh, when we went live with a website in 2018 and that was a significant mark for us um, that meant that we were playing in the big boys markets um, you know exposing our prices having it uh, on, on and there plenty of cynics that said that we couldn't do that um, but we did and um, you know having the IP of that uh, the value the IP in that platform in that technology business is really important to us and it's been a long hard journey but it's been worth every penny and uh, it's something that has stood us in good stead because that's allowed us to uh, be masters of our own destiny and we've chosen to basically in everything that we've done we've owned it uh, and rather than having a uh, small bit of a massive pie we've chosen to keep the whole pie to ourselves which is probably a good Ben Keith analogy um, but on top of that you know we, we got um, a really good guy in place on the property side that um, meant that we weren't in charge, uh, which was a good thing. But we we, we realised that uh, to um, balance risk in the, in the bookmaking, bricks and mortar are a really really good option, um, and you can apply yield to things in the same way that you can apply margin. And 
um, Max on the property side has built a significant business. And that, again, is, uh, it's got several verticals that where, you know, we've got auctions, uh, law, you know, we've got construction, we've got um, all areas that, that then seed into things like uh, the, the retail market that we're in allows us to control the you know the building of, of all the new and refit of all the new shops etc so it's sort of fitted in nicely you know nice little niche but uh, I think the fact is it's it, it, within these things it's about the people and um, we've got the people in the right places that's why it worked okay the youth from a business point of view you've got a reputation for being quite hard now has that been for the benefit of Ben are you like his deflection? Or is it for the benefit of the people you've been working with? Or is it just yeah. the way you have to be when you're dealing in big business? Um, I'd like to dispute the hard... Uh, well, I've got a good authority. Really? Right, OK. Well, I think, I think I'm fair. Um, I think that's definitely the case. I think I probably... The, hard, the person I'm hardest on is Ben, definitely. Um, I give him a hard time because I have to. Um, but I think that, you know... It's the case that if you're not hard bitten in this business, you never will be, um, and you have to, you know, really, really filter through a lot of the stuff that you do to try and find people that have got, you know, genuine, genuinely your 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 best wishes at heart. Um, so yeah, I'm a bit of a cynic, really. I've been born out of that. Well, you might like this other description of you a bit better. Your um, your unflappability. Now, is that true? No. Uh, so you just give the you give the impression that you're not yeah, flapping yeah, when inside you're yeah the swan yeah yeah yeah, yeah. B- uh, below the surface I'm uh, panicking like fury and I've uh, basically I think the last fifteen years have been fueled by fear um, fear of going skint fear of uh, failure and fear of having to do a real job I suppose um, because it's not really but it's been a bit you know bizarre in places but uh i think that uh you know my driver is 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 one of i wake up each morning and and, and i'm trying to solve problems and i'm trying to keep going you know uh, so the calm demeanor is definitely a disguise and it's just assuming that um i mean you've what you've come up you've been on this sort of business journey with ben yeah for the one of i don't really want to use these modern terminologies but <laughs> you come up with ben so is it just sort of and that just naturally gelled with you two without even having to think about it that you're always going to be there you know regardless of what you know and now you're not going to be so yeah I suppose gelled as in falling out with each other repeatedly swearing at each other on a daily basis and um, you know probably language I can't repeat on here uh, butting heads constantly um, you know yin and yang all the time just uh, you have to Try and balance things out, and uh, but but in the end, I've I've got ultimate respect, and uh, that's what it's based out of, really. All right, Gary. Now, for anyone that doesn't know Ben, um, anyone that does know him will vouch that he's kind as a heart of gold, but is also very complex and often very demanding sort of character. Has the fact that you have grown with the business with him? enabled you to actually as you talked about in the in the previous part have a proper row if you disagree with something say what you actually think is that made your job a lot easier than somebody who was promoted from outside the firm and is suddenly in the position that you're you you are in with him is that is that how it's worked made it work uh yeah 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 i think so i think you have to earn the right to 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 um be a little bit more brutal with your honesty um and you know I think he's a big character, and some people will, would struggle to 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 voice their opinion in a you know that 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 manner. Um, and I think that I've earned that right. So yeah, it does help immensely. So so I do feel for people that you know at senior level that come in and have to try and work out how the whole thing works. But I think that that's been partially my job in that sense. And I think you know that whole um, you know. What we're doing is that you know the transition into a bigger business means that we've got people in place that are going to be the future of the business, and they, they we're going to start them from a fairly young age. We've got a group of people coming through in their twenties who 
are going to be used to the ethos and the culture and um, will understand how we work while still growing and, and having a bit more of a corporate edge around it. Um, and I think that that will help them in their relationships with him, you know, uh, in the fact that they would have grown through their career at the same time. But somebody coming in, you know, to a very senior position would have uh, their work cut out initially, definitely, yeah. Because this will go on, on that same point, I mean, Ben thinks about stuff, but it seems like 24-7. Yeah. And you think nothing of texting you at quarter to midnight if he's had an yeah. idea. Um, how, how have you managed to cope with sort of bringing him down? And, and does he need bringing down? Because obviously he's started this business. How do you know when this is time to calm him down and when this is time to actually say, yeah. go for it, you know? Yeah, um just experience really I think you know sometimes you press the accelerate and sometimes you're on the brake um, but I think I think you, 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 it's a learning curve and it's taken a long time to get to there but you know I think that the other thing is is it's how you present so you can speak the truth but how you deliver that truth is really important and I think that I've learned how to understand uh when something really is important and it really needs doing that not to not to particularly stand in the way of that and, and, and let it play out but let it play out under the right parameters um and and when to actually just cut something off at the at the root you know now i'm also i'm also told that you're a good judge of character um and i imagine when star sports was flying by the seat of its pants back in the early days back in that flap um, you were probably in some extremely difficult spots with with Ben and whoever was with you at the time. Um, what, you know, when you're when you're doing business with somebody, what sort of characteristics are you looking for? Yeah, th th this is crucial. I think that we we built over time by uh, really engendering relationships. You know, everybody within the business it's a family business still, really, even though it's grown to you know three hundred people I'm guessing uh, I think that it's so important that two, two things really firstly if you don't necessarily agree with someone you've got to respect them you, you know, the way that they behave you've got to have respect for them as a, as, a, as a person as a business person and that's important to us and that, but, but nearly always secondly um, we really enjoy their company really actually uh, uh, want to do the right thing by them. This is a big thing for Benjamin. He's, he, he, he desperately wants to do the right thing for the individual, almost above and beyond the right thing for himself and Star, so that in the end, in the, in, in the journey, I mean, you might go away from him and come back to him later, but you've had that grounding and that you're, you're in good stead for when something might come back to us in, in due course. So that's the long game in that sense. You know, relationships are the long game. Now, it's too... In, in two perspectives, this did you ever think there were times when Star wouldn't get through bad runs in the past? Oh, God, yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, I think I probably um, refer back to my previous answer of the fear factor. Um, I always, you know, always felt like uh, it was uh, we were on the edge of the precipice. And I think the, the other thing with Benjamin is he, he, he works the money, so. You know, there's never, there's never a, a spare uh, centine to to go around as uh, as uh, Calamar FD will will attest to. You know. And and did you, but did you ever think that you two personally wouldn't get through a bad situation if you've had a real bad falling out? Yeah. Is there ever a point where you thought, well, this might have to come to an end now? No, no, I haven't actually. No, uh, I don't. I don't think it's ever got to that. But again, see one of the previous answers that I gave is. It's, it's almost like it's, there's too much going on to even think about that and contemplate because you're on to the next thing. If some mini disasters happened over here, there's three other things going on over here that detracts away from that and move you on to the next plan, you know? So you never have time to... Th you, you, you don't have time to get off the merry-go-round and actually analyse things on that level, you know, on that granular level. And have there ever been times when... You're thinking maybe Ben's on the edge, the pressure's getting to him, you have to sit down and talk him through this difficult... Is that ever...? Um, there's been one or two occasions where, yeah, there's been a bit of a, a time where we've had some real good conversations in and around, um, you know, the future, the fu his, his future, and uh, whether you can still go at that pace. And uh, I think that, you know, 
he hates work-life balance as a, as a phrase, but he's actually tried to, he's actually worked it out, you know, things like the phone will go off for an hour and we'll have a chat, you know, or um, he might have a holiday that's, uh, he actually does have a rest and um, drinks a Fanta lemon and calms himself down a bit. Now, Star have cultivated a reputation for being big layers and taking big bets. Um, when you've got a big player that bets in massive sums and they're going a good run, I mean, how many times have you been one huge bet away from game over? Uh, well, obviously, we um, are a regulated uh, company that, that um, acts uh, responsibly when it comes to the finances of the business. So, uh, well, now, I, yeah, but you know, I'm talking about uh, on the up. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Well, we have been regulated since 2005, I believe. So, so you know, it, it is the case that, um, yeah, I mean, look, uh, uh, the thing is, you, you have to embrace that because it is your USP. So, you know, don't forget, the big wins are a marketing tool. So it's like, you know, all right, it's a loss in the bank, but it might be a potential long-term profit to the business. You know, I think that we have to, we have to think like that. We have to think that, um, you know, and the other thing is, well, obviously we don't hedge. So, um, you know, that, cause that plays with your mind. Uh, so, so we, we stand everything and, uh, uh it, it, it is, I just want to say now categorically that every bet that you hear that's laid is definitely laid. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't profess to say that, you know, there's any, anything other than the truth in that. And the other thing that I like to say is, uh, uh, no, we're not owned by Tony Bloom. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully one day we'll wake up and we are owned by Tony Bloom because it, <laughs> it wouldn't be a bad thing, would it? Now you've, I think you've already answered this, but you said you, you liked the fear. Did you say you liked the fear or was it you just driven uh, by fear? Uh, well, do you enjoy that sort of pressure? Are you a bit of a masochist? Is, it, is the not being able to sleep at night because you're worried about what's going to happen tomorrow a yeah, driving force? I think force? there's a level of addiction to it, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, why would you look at the, the records as they come through and uh, watch the end of a football match where the next goal will cost you half a million quid? I don't, I don't see the upside to that. You know, why, why would you do that? You must like it. You know, it's a bit like stubbing a cigarette out in your hand, but you, you, you do do it. But, but, you know, from the early days when um, I'd be on my own in the trading room because somebody's gone to the toilet and I have to answer the phone uh, and I don't know what I'm doing and uh, it's a grand each way, a 33 shot that goes off eight and uh, you've laid it. Didn't really enjoy that very much. Um, but luckily we've got Dave Jolly head of trading so uh, I can let him have those uh, responsibilities and um, sleepless nights on my behalf a bit more. And uh, when you're away from the cold face, you, you don't feel that, feel that pressure quite the same, you know. Okay, so now we, we, we find you've sort of sat here in Ben's office, you're, you're financially comfortable, you, you're yeah. on the verge of retirement. It might sound a daft question, but is there anything that you regret or that you would have done differently on the way to where you are now? Um, I, I don't think you can have regrets, really. I think, I think you have to... The hard times are what? frames you you know so you, you you really you've really got to embrace them you know and uh i think that again the ethos the company ethos and ben's ethos is that um you want to do the best by other people so hopefully on on our road there's not been many occasions where somebody will have um dealt with us and uh it'd be a particularly bad experience i hope obviously it happens on occasion but that's life isn't it you can't you can't please everyone all the time but i think that I don't have many regrets. I think that the business is, is in really, really strong shape, you know, so uh, I think that some, we've, we've done something right, shall we say. And how, you know, this is, it could be difficult for you to answer, but how do you see Ben as a person and as a bookmaker? And what do you predict for the future of Star Sports now you're not in it? Uh, well, he's a good friend. And he's a gargantuan of a bookmaker. And uh, I think that, you know, he's at the start of his journey. And in many respects, I think that internationally we're going we're gonna to grow. I think there could be focus. The UK's um, only one place in the world. So I think we've got opportunities elsewhere. I think that uh, he um, still has a lot to do. And, uh, you know, I think that the business itself is in really safe hands. We've got an excellent chairman who's just come on board, Russ, and uh, the other Russ is uh, 
uh, done a great job at the top of the tree, and we've you know we've we basically evolved from a telebet bookmaker to a proper online bookmaker now with proper technology and uh, and a structure that's uh, capable of scale. So yeah, it's in good shape. Now the game's been good to you. Yeah. What would you? say to somebody that wanted to get in it um from both sides of the fence you've you've had dealings with some of the cleverest punters yeah. in the country and also you were one of the you know, part of one of the most successful bookmakers so what would your advice be um okay uh, i'd probably say firstly don't isolate yourself i think working from home is uh mental and uh you know career disaster really I don't, I don't I don't get it and I I, I certainly uh, if you possibly can don't do that uh, be around people be around other people it's, it's very important I think that secondly um, you really want to uh, try and if you can and the money allows work for a smaller business uh, really understand what an end-to-end business looks like. So you get you get ingrained not just in one department or, you know, you only see one part of a business or you see the whole thing. You know, even the boring stuff, you know, the compliance and the uh, accounts and, the you know, the tax returns and all that sort of stuff and well, how the back office function works, how uh, how it works from, you know, point of view, if you're with a small on-course firm or you're a small uh, group of shops or whatever, you can you can really see what what it is to be in business i think that's really important um and i think then when you when you have found what you want to do commit 100 percent and really go for it don't the you know see it right through even if it means going off a cliff with it i think it's probably worth that experience and two questions left um why did you decide to, to turn it in now you're a relatively uh, young man. I've got 50, 55 in a, what was it, two weeks. Uh, I think that I'd like to enjoy my proceeds now, uh, healthy. Uh, I'd like to actually go out there and actually uh, enjoy myself. It's uh, it's been a uh, it's been a it's been a journey, um, and about, I, start, I think that there'll be another episode for me after that as well. Oh, you've preempted my last question. Oh, right. oh, I was going to say <laughs> you've lived for the you've you've been in the thick of a firm that has lived by the seat yeah. of its pants for the best part of two decades. You can't you can't just like go and lie on the beach, surely. Uh, I am now, uh, but maybe ask me that question in a year. And one final question I've just thought of: Have you told yeah. Ben to delete your number from his phone? For <laughs> anything business related? Uh, we're in negotiations. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure going with Gate. Thank you very much. Thanks, Simon.